take my microphone off mute, then you might be able to hear me. Good morning, everybody. A very happy new year to you. We're, yeah, we're, a, bit, we're a little bit depleted this morning. Obviously, um, Peter and the family are away for a well-deserved well post-Christmas break. Um, there are lots of people down with various bugs at the moment, so we'll pray for them uh, and for ourselves later on in the service. I only have one notice, and that's to um, remind you of something that Sarah put in the leaflet a few weeks ago, that um, now that the pandemic is sufficiently reduced, we are going we're going back to having our traditional uh, Farrow family open house from four o'clock this afternoon till, till whenever. So if any of you would love to come, would like to come along, we'd love, we'd love to see you four o'clock onwards. Our address is in the church directory if you need a reminding of it, but uh, you'd be very, very welcome. In the meantime, let us turn to worship. As we're still in Christmas tide, um, we return to a, for a moment to the scene in the fields outside uh, Bethlehem, where the, crowd, where the throngs of angels appear to the shepherds and cry out, glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. So as we gather together in the name of our Lord Jesus and as we accept his promise that his spirit is with us. Let us hear him in the in, let us in our mind's eye, let, uh, imagine him in our midst, holding out his nail-pierced hands to us, saying, peace be with you. We have peace with Christ, with God, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So let us now stand and join with the angels, angels from the realms of glory, wing your song over all the earth. Let's stand and sing together.
seated. So in that hymn, we encourage each other to come and worship Christ, newborn king, grown man, carpenter, itinerant preacher, son of God, crucified for our sins, and yet raised and ascended into glory where he now sits at the right hand of the Father. So as we rest in his presence, let's allow his spirit to search us. And if there's anything he wants us to, wants to put his finger on that we need to put right, let's allow him to do that now. Not only is Jesus raised into glory, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, he is also praying for us. St. John reminds us that if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Let us receive our, our forgiveness and thank him for it. And now let's pray our opening prayer together. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. I'm going to ask that we stand again, and instead of saying the Gloria, we're going to read a psalm together, Psalm 84, which will come up on the screens, but if you want it in your pew Bibles, it's on page 595. Let's stand together and read this together, um, and, and say this together. So we say together, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are forever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrim. As they must in the Calvary of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn's rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favour on your anointed one. 
Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Lord, as we commit ourselves into your hands for this new year, we thank you, Lord, for the truth of those words. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. Lord Jesus, please come and continue to live in each one of us. Thank you that you have given your spirit. So, Lord, come and fill us with your spirit and equip us to be your people in this parish and in this world. Because we ask it for the glory of Jesus and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you like to be seated for our reading? Uh, Our reading this morning is from uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 10 to 18. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 to 18. And if you're following on the Pew Bibles, it's um, on page 1202. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. And in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Thanks be to God. morning everyone. So why did Jesus Christ become a man? This is the question posed by the passage we've just heard James read. Verse 10 tells us, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. 
Why was this fitting? In other words, why was it good for God to bring many folk to glory through the suffering of his son? God can only act within his character. And that character is to be both loving and just. The only way for him to save sinners whilst remaining loving and just was through the suffering of his son on the cross. Why? Because on the cross, both God's love and his justice were perfectly satisfied. Justice by the atonement for our sins and love fully restoring the relationship between God and humanity. We're told as well that our salvation was made perfect through suffering. Does this imply that Jesus was imperfect? No. Three times in Hebrews we are told that Jesus was sinless. So what does it mean that Jesus was made perfect through suffering? Before the incarnation, before Christ was born as a fully human baby, Jesus did not suffer. But maybe the question we should ask is, would Jesus remain sinless in the midst of human suffering, experiencing the same suffering that you and I face throughout life's journey? The New Testament answers this with a resounding yes. He remained sinless. He passed the test. His sinlessness remained perfect even in the midst of suffering. Even in the midst of the intensity of suffering on the cross. Even in the midst of carrying the weight of humanity's sin. Even enduring the weight of forsakenness and aloneness. He remained perfect, sinless. Verse 10 tells us as well that Jesus is the founder of our salvation. Jesus is our trailblazer and pioneer. When he became a man, when he died on the cross and rose from the grave, he was blazing a trail for us. So our first point from this passage is that if we trust and follow Jesus, this is the path we were on. We are following the path toward eternity that Jesus pioneered for us. Are we on that path? Do we stay on that path? Or do we wander? Secondly, our passage tells us that Jesus became man to identify with us. He who sanctifies Jesus and those who are sanctified, that's us, Christians, all have one source, which means literally are all from one. The one source is taken by most scholars to be a reference to God the Father. In other words, Jesus Christ and us have the same Father. And since Jesus and us have one source, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. We are family. And one of the characteristics of family is that we inherit or develop family traits. If we are family, what, I wonder, are the family traits that we develop? In other words, how are we growing like Jesus? 
could we be recognized as a believer as we go around our daily lives? Or do we cling to unholy habits and desires, living double lives, outwardly purporting to be a follower of Christ, but being content to shelter in those dark places of ungodliness when it suits us? When Jesus became man, he so identified with us that he was not and is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. We might think that sin and guilt and brokenness would cause Jesus to be ashamed to identify with us, but not so. Jesus became a man, died on the cross so that he could identify with us, bearing our sin and our shame as he did so. He is the perfect older brother who stands up for us. He's not only standing up for us, he is proud to identify with us, with you and with me. And as John has already mentioned, even when we sin, 1 John 2 verse 1 tells us, we have Jesus our advocate who speaks up for us before God. Jesus is not ashamed to identify with us, but are we sometimes ashamed to identify with him? Do we keep quiet when we know we should be speaking up? Jesus does more than identify with us. He can and will deliver us from those areas of darkness and shame that we hold within us if we only turn to him. Our third point from this verse. Jesus became man to live to deliver us from the fear of death. Of course we're going to die. It's the one guaranteed thing in this life. What does it mean then that he delivers us from the fear of death? Verse 14 tells us, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus partook of the same things. What things? Our flesh and blood. He was truly human. For 30 years or so, he experienced everything that you and I experience. Work, play, working as a carpenter. Jesus took on real flesh. Jesus was fully human, yet he never sinned. He was fully God and fully man. This is a profound mystery, that the Son of God knew what it was like to live on earth as a man. He took on flesh to deliver us from the fear of death. And he went further, he died in our place. The devil's power is very limited. Ultimately, God, of course, controls life and death. So what exactly is Satan's power over death? Satan, John, verse eight, tell, uh, chapter 8, verse 44 tells us, is the author of sin. And the penalty for sin is death, Romans tells us. When Satan convinces us to sin, we will die. This is how he wields the power of death. It took the intervention of Jesus dying on the cross 
to release us from the curse of sin and the death that comes with it. In Jesus' death, he destroyed the one who has the power of death. The word destroy can also be translated as to nullify, to neutralize, or to deprive of power. So Jesus, through his death, eliminated Satan's power, deprived him of his power. When Jesus died in our place, he paid the penalty for our sin. Satan can no longer enslave us. When we die, we will die forgiven sinners, which means we will be ushered into glory. Therefore, we have no fear of physical death. One of my grandchildren has recently discovered the Narnia books, and they're one of my favorite collection of stories. In the last page of the last book, The Last Battle, Lewis describes heaven. He says, And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their advantages in Narnia had only been a cover and a title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before. We are at the title page. We are at the cover page. And when we physically die, we will go on into eternity with Jesus in heaven. And then begins the great eternal story, which none of us on earth has read although maybe we get glimpses as we read the scripture and we spend time in prayer. We are just passing through our earthly lives. We pass through earthly death into eternity, and because of the truths which Paul describes in these verses from Hebrews, we are assured of our place in eternity with our Heavenly Father if we believe and trust in the saving work of Jesus. And that leads me to our final and fourth point from these verses. Jesus, our merciful and faithful high priest. Remember Paul is writing to Jewish believers here, and they would understand the role of the high priest in the Old Testament. The Old Testament pattern of someone who stood between God and man. And Jesus was the perfect high priest because he was God and man in one person. And he placed himself on the altar of the cross. He poured out his life so that we could be forgiven. He was the perfect sacrifice. As a result of Jesus becoming man, he was tempted, yet never sinned. According to verse 18, his temptations were so real, they caused him to suffer. 
And Satan threw everything at Jesus because he knew that if Jesus had sinned even once, he wouldn't have been able to redeem humanity, redeem us. So when temptation comes, we can turn to the one who, although tempted, never sinned, and ask for help to resist. Resist the allure of sin. Resist turning towards darkness. Jesus became man to help you and me when we are tempted. And because he's more than a man, because he is God, he can help us resist and turn away. But beware. To quote C.S. Lewis again, he says, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope. It's soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Subtle, isn't it? And this is why we need to stay close to Jesus, our pioneer and trailblazer, following his footsteps on the road of salvation. So, in these few verses from Hebrews, we have the guarantee of salvation, our salvation from sin and its consequences, the guarantee of our place in eternity, These verses speak of the fulfillment of the promise of the birth of a baby at Christmas. The end game, if you like, of his journey on earth. In these four attributes of Jesus, the assurance of salvation, that we are members of God's family, that we no longer need to experience the curse of death due to sin, or that because Jesus is our great high priest and we can ask for help in times of temptation, which of those four truths do we need to hear again this morning? Which of those four truths, one, two, three, or all of them, do we need to sit with and think on this morning? as we tread the road of salvation. Because Jesus, as these verses remind us, is not just for Christmas, but is for life, for eternity. Amen. Thank you, Ursula. Scripture says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it occurred to the mind of man or woman what God has prepared for those who love him. So let's be quiet just for a moment or two and ask ourselves those questions that Ursula left us with.
which is God speaking to us about today? And it might be answered probably different for each one of us. Is it to remind us of the assurance of salvation? Is it to remind us that we, with Jesus, are all children of the same Heavenly Father? Is it to remind us that we are freed from the curse of death because of our sins and that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Or is it that when we are going through the, the turmoil and the, and the stress of temptation, do we need to be reminded that Jesus is there having experienced it all himself? Again, let's just be quiet before Jesus for a moment. as we continue to rest in the presence of our risen Lord Jesus. Let's bring before him the needs of our, our own needs, the needs of our church, and the needs of our world in a short time of intercession. At the start of this new year, let us begin by bringing the needs of our country to the Lord. Let us bring before him the needs of those who are worried about the cost of living, those who are still fearful of COVID, let us bring before him all the industrial turmoil there is at the moment, with strike after strike. Let us pray for a just solution to all these issues and these disputes. Let us continue to pray for our government as the Lord commands us, whether we agree with their policies or not. Let us pray for wisdom. Let us pray for humility. But also for character and for leadership. And overall, let us pray too for integrity. Lord, in your mercy... We look further afield in the world, again looking to Eastern Europe and the suffering in Ukraine at the moment. 
I again want to pray for the Lord's anointing on all those of his people who are ministering in that difficult situation, those within the churches themselves and those from outside who are trying to help, whether it's with physical aid or in prayer. Lord, we ask your blessing on those efforts and we ask for your anointing on them, the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Finally, let us pray for our own church, for our own fellowship here. At the start of this new year, let us pray for ourselves that we might know what it is to go forward into this year with Jesus. To go out amongst the people of the world with Jesus. Pray for our leaders, for Peter and the family currently taking a few days rest, for Ursula, for John and myself as wardens, for Rachel with heading up the children's work at the moment, for all those leading house groups and anybody else with any responsibility or ministry within our church. Let's pray for them, for a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit upon and finally, let's pray for all those who are struggling with various bugs at the moment. Let us ask for healing. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen. Shall we stand? Again, we remind ourselves that the angels cried out, to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. And in light of all that Ursula has told us about what Jesus came to bring us, let us now bless each other with a sign of that peace. May the peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you. Let's spend a moment sharing the peace, remembering, of course, that some people wish to keep a distance because of COVID and other viruses. Shall we remain standing and we'll sing our next hymn, which again traces the path Jesus took from the stable in Bethlehem to the cross and then to glory. After that, Ursula will lead us forward in our communion service.
I'm using Eucharistic prayer E. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It's right to give thanks. Father, you made the world and you love your creation. You gave your son Jesus Christ to be our saviour. His dying and rising have set us free from sin and death. And so we gladly thank you with saints and angels, praising you and saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We praise and bless you, loving Father, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as we obey his command, send your Holy Spirit that broken bread and wine outpoured may be for us the body and blood of your dear Son. On the night before he died, he had supper with his friends, and taking bread, he praised you. He broke the bread, gave it to them, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when supper was ended, he took the cup of wine. Again, he praised you and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So, Father, we remember all that Jesus did. In him we plead with confidence his sacrifice made once for all upon the cross. Bringing before you the bread of life and the cup of salvation, we proclaim his death and resurrection until he comes in glory. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Lord of all life, help us to work together for that day when your kingdom comes and justice and mercy will be seen in all the earth. Look with favor on your people, gather us in your loving arms, and bring us with all the saints to feast at your table in heaven. Through Christ, and with Christ, and in Christ. In the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory are yours, O loving Father, forever and ever. Amen. As our Saviour taught us, so we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. Draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you.
and his blood which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Please come forward as the stewards direct. Um, there'll be non-alcoholic wine and gluten-free wafers available for those who prefer it. And again, we're going to follow what's become our usual pattern of taking the bread and wine back to our seats so that we can consume together.
the body of Christ keep you in eternal life. And the blood of Christ keep you in eternal life. Let's just take a few moments to pray for those of our fellowship who can't join with us in communion this morning. And so, Father, we remember those of our church communities and families and wider circle who can't join with us this morning because of frailty or illness, because they're in residential care, or for other circumstances beyond their control. And Lord, we ask that your peace and your presence will be with them and that they will know your healing and your blessing this week. Amen. And we say together our prayer after communion. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. Thank you, John. I'd like to stand for our final carol, which is Joy to the World.
final word of scripture as we go our way. So to our Father who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.